Hi, I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about parades for Trump versus pathetic Paul Ryan. Winston Sears, candidate for Virginia Lieutenant Governor, joins me. And courts reject Biden's racial bigotry. And finally, remembering on Memorial Day. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I hope you all had a lovely and meaningful Memorial Day weekend. I want to share with you some of the things that happened over Memorial Day weekend. Uh, We didn't have a show yesterday because it was a holiday. So here we are today. And I want to talk with you first about some of the Trump celebrations that happened over the weekend. And then we'll talk about Paul Ryan. So I sent to Matt, the very wonderful producer, a clip of a Trump boat parade in Florida. Okay, I must tell you that I have a very dear friend from high school who lives in Florida, and she was not in this parade, but she and her husband and daughter have been in other parades down there. And I wanted to just say, I think it's really important to understand, because we're going to talk in a moment about what Paul Ryan had to say in a speech he gave, a pathetic speech he gave at the Reagan Library. But I first want to talk about why there's so much enthusiasm for Trump and the Trump parades continuing. People who don't like the Trump parades, people who are leftists and they do not like uh, what is the enthusiasm in the Republican Party, they think that what the Trump supporters are celebrating, what those people in the boat parade are celebrating, and what the people who you may have seen over the weekend, two different instances in which Trump supporters unfurled major banners at baseball games. One was a Yankees game, one was a Mets game, which basically the big banner said Trump won. And so you can hear the crowd, you hear some cheering, some booing, but people months after the election are still putting up Trump won as a, I mean, as really as a stunt at a major league baseball game. They're holding serious Trump parades in Florida. And that one was very large. The one I just showed you the video of, my friend was telling me from high school was telling me they had pretty bad weather that day. It wasn't great weather, so they didn't have nearly the turnout they normally would. I wanna talk about why this Trump enthusiasm still exists and why Paul Ryan made such a complete pathetic fool of himself or worse over the weekend when he spoke at the Reagan Library. Actually, I think he spoke last Thursday to start with. The enthusiasm among the millions of Trump voters in this country is not personal to Trump. I made this point before, but it's really important to understand as we move forward in 2021, we have people already talking about who's going to run for various seats uh, that are open right now or that have a fairly unpopular incumbent. One uh, Seats are viewed as vulnerable. And so, of course, there is the Trump endorsement that some people try to get and others do not. People like those folks at the boat parade, the people at the baseball park dropping a, unfurling a big Trump one sign, these are not sycophants. These are not people who do that because they have some personal bizarro hanging on to Trump and his coattails mindset. They don't have that at all. Trump celebrating him, trying to say to the world, we still stand for Trump, is not about Trump. It's about America. It's about celebrating the unique, great goodness of America. It's about what Trump instilled in the hearts and minds of millions of Americans across this country during his campaign and after he won. He told America in thousands of ways, it's actually okay to still love America. It's actually still okay to think America is great and unique and extraordinary. And not just to say it in some kind of, you know, uh, romanticized terms, but to translate that love of America, 
which has zero racism to it. The left tries to say, oh, love of America, that's code word, that's somehow racist. The millions of Trump supporters who love him, including people of every race, ethnicity, national origin, and skin color, love him because he stood up for the goodness of America. And because he's willing to say, to have America continue, this great, extraordinary country continue, you have to have borders that you enforce. You have to have, related to borders, the concept of citizenship. You have to have citizenship. It has to mean something to be a citizen, to have a legal status of citizen. And it means something if you came to the country without any legal right to be here and you're not a citizen. That has to have consequences. We have to have a strong military, a military whose primary purpose is to be strong and brave and noble and defend this country, not a military that performs the latest social justice warrior exercises when they're supposed to be training their troops about uh, better accuracy on shooting firearms, strategy, tactics, conditioning, strength, national and international policy. That's what the military needs to be training their people about. And this is what Trump brought back. He rejected the Obama era, sissifying, and that's not really a word, but it should be, making sissies out of the military, and even worse, the Obama era, removing the actually pro-patriotic, pro-American, strong, high-level leaders from America's military ranks. Obama removed them and, and had left, therefore left in place and, and promoted up people who have the left wing, America's nothing special attitude, America's not so great after all, America needs to be punished for its, its evil past. These are the people that were, who were left in charge of the military after Obama's gone. So Trump comes in, strong borders, actual citizenship, strong military, a free market economy. These are core, core American things. These are Americans as American as apple pie. They're a mainstream, main street, July 4th, America. That's what Trump brought back, and that's what those people that boat rally want to see. They want a country standing up like Trump did. They want leaders to stand up like Trump did and say America is good and great. That's what they want. And the reason they are so motivated to continue saying that is because instead of having Trump or someone like him running the country, being in the presidency, you have someone who, if you were trying to harm America, if you were trying to weaken America, if you were trying to vilify America, you would do exactly what the Biden administration is doing to this country. That's exactly what you would do. So you have the fans of President Trump, they're not sycophants, they're not worshipful of him, but they want to have someone who stands up for America like Trump did. So now we'll turn to the nefarious Paul Ryan, uh, almost became vice president of this country, Paul Ryan, ran with Romney, as you know, and lost in 2012. But Paul Ryan gave a speech. You know, the former Speaker of the House, the, I mean, in many people's eyes, he was the next generation, the next generation of leaders of the Republican Party. Paul Ryan gave a speech at the Reagan Library last Thursday, and he all but said every single talking point a Democrat candidate would say. He went out of his way to take shots at President Trump and to everyone still supporting him. The most egregious among the many things he said, Paul Ryan said, once again, we, this is Paul Ryan at the Reagan Library. Once again, we conservatives find ourselves at a crossroads. Here's one reality we have to face. If the conservative cause depends on the populist appeal of one personality or of second-rate imitations, then we're not going anywhere. He went on to say that he was, he said, voters, this is what Paul Ryan thinks. Voters are looking for Republican leaders. They want to see independence and metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, metal. They will not be impressed by the sight of yes men and flatterers, flatterers flocking to Mar-a-Lago, which is making reference to President Trump's current residence in Florida. Ryan went on to say he was horrified to watch the final weeks of Trump's presidency, something he said came to a dishonorable and disgraceful end. Ryan went on to try to say to Republicans, Republicans need to harness the energy Trump brought to the party 
while remaining loyal to the values of limited government, free enterprise, and respect for the rule of law. Okay, uh, note to Paul Ryan, those are Trump legacy policies. Those are Trump agenda items. The idea of limited government, that's why he had for every regulation put in place, two had to be removed and they had an even better job, a, bit, a better performance on that than just removing two. He limited federal government. He tried to hone down the power of the federal government. Take, and he says, this is what he, Paul Ryan says, take the populist energy of the recent years, combine it with the core principles of conservatism, and the result will be a coalition even broader and stronger than yesterday's Republican Party. We win majorities by directing our loyalty and respect to voters and by staying faithful to the conservative principles that unite us. I can't even stand it. He's directly attacking President Trump, Paul Ryan, directly attacking President Trump, mocking the people who are still defending President Trump, making fun of the politicians who go down to Mar-a-Lago, which is where Trump lives, owns and lives, uh, and they, have, they stand there, they get pictures with him, they pose with him, Marco Rubio was just down there, got a picture of himself with President Trump. Many conservatives running for Congress and the Senate want their picture with President Trump. It's a campaign choice. People advising candidates can say, you know what, I think you're base. They want to see you with Trump. Maybe some other ones say you're based. Do not want to see you with Trump. It's up to the candidates. Paul Ryan is clueless or worse. The clueless part is that he doesn't understand that every single thing, everything he was saying the Republican Party stands for is exactly what Trump was doing. Trump was doing exactly that. And this is why, this is what engendered the loyalty to Trump. Not because of his hairstyle or his tweets or his beautiful wife or anything else about him or him being a billionaire. The people in America the millions and millions and millions of Americans, a vast majority of his voters and supporters, stand behind President Trump because of his policies, because of the Trump agenda. So either Paul Ryan does not understand that, in which he, case he is really clueless, really clueless, or worse, and this is the worst and what, what I think is true. What President Trump did beyond inspiring love of America was he exposed for the American people both the rabid anti-Americanism that is the mainstream of today's Democrat Party. Rabid anti-Americanism is mainstream Democrat Party. That's who they are, it's where they live. It's the policies they pursue. The abandonment of the border, the weakening of the military, the grotesque growth of the federal government, the grotesque growth of federal spending, causing America, flinging us into bankruptcy, engendering more and more dependency. This is what the left is doing on purpose to America. So Trump's candidacy, Trump's presidency helped America see how awful and evil the agenda of the Democrat Party is. But even more so, and back to Paul Ryan, Trump's messages to America helped more Americans see what the Tea Party type people have been saying over the last whatever number of years you want to count that is, 10 years or so, what the conservatives are saying, which is there are far too many Republicans that get elected on you know, red meat, rock solid, conservative Republican ideas. They get elected, they go to Washington, they serve in the House or the Senate, and they lock arms with the Democrat Party, they lock arms with the ruling class agenda in Washington, and they don't follow through on anything they said they would do. They just pretend. They just put out statements like, oh yes, I am strong military, yeah, that's me. And then they go along with whatever the left tries to do. There are plenty of people on the Republican side of the aisle who have no fight in them, who found it far easier to go to Washington and simply go along with whatever it was the Democrats were telling them to do, to go along with the Democrat weakening of the military, the uh, socialization of our federal government, the Marxism rising in the federal government. And this, I'm afraid, is where Paul Ryan really is and where he lives. Because what President Trump exposed that the, is that the swamp in Washington was not just these snakes on the American left, the snaky leftist Marxist Democrat Party. It was literally 
a large chunk, a core of elected Republicans who go to Washington and do nothing like what they said they would do. They go to Washington, they join the swamp, they join the uniparty, they join, they lock arms with the Democrats, and they do the uniparty globalist rolling slowly toward Marxism agenda that the left is directing, and the Republicans just march along with them. This is what President Trump helped Americans see. This is what they saw, and this is why I say I'm very, very nervous about Paul Ryan when he's giving a speech at the Reagan Library and condemning Trump. He either doesn't understand that Trump was doing exactly the things that he, Paul Ryan, was saying Republicans stand for, or worse, Paul Ryan knows Trump was doing all those great things, but Paul Ryan is far more loyal to the uniparty, left-wing ilk of the Republican Party that simply found Trump troublesome because he was draining their swamp too. Trump, last point on him, and then we, I see we have our guest ready. I'm very excited she's ready uh, to join us. And so I actually want to ask Matt to show something in a moment before we bring her on. But President Trump helped America see that America still has potential to be great and extraordinary and strong. That's why the people at those boat parades in Florida, that's why the people are around this country still standing behind Trump. It's not Trump the person, it's Trump the pro-America agenda. And I'm telling you people, our country is not 50-50, leftist, Democrat, anti-American, right-wing, pro-American. Our country is about 70-30, meaning the vast majority of Americans still want America to be America. And they're looking for leaders to stand up and be leaders like Trump was. That, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. Okay, I told you we have a guest joining us named Winsome Sears. Two things about her. Number one, I met her. Okay, three things. One thing, I met her in Florida uh, recently, and she is the most delightful woman. She's running for lieutenant governor in the state of Virginia. And so her, her first name is actually Winsome. As a funny thing, I have to say, I have a good friend of mine who is emailing me, e emailing someone to introduce them to me. And I said, hey, this is my friend Debbie. She's really, I don't know whatever the adjective she used, but she goes, and she's winsome. I didn't know that word. And I'm thinking, what is she saying about me? I had to look it up. It's a nice word, it turns out. Uh, it, it's attractive, appealing, uh, likable, enjoyable. I mean, it's, it's a lovely, lovely word. So winsome Sears candidate for lieutenant governor uh, in Georgia. And I want to play a short clip. This is from her campaign site, and then we'll bring her on with us. Let me tell you about me. My name is Winsome Sears, and I served in the United States Marine Corps. I was the first Republican to win a seat in the House of Delegates in a majority black district since 1865. In the General Assembly, I had a 100% pro-life and pro-Second Amendment record. I became the national chairman of Black Americans to reelect President Trump, and we turned out more Black voters for any Republican president since Reagan. Now our country's falling into chaos, but I still believe in the America that has accepted me as an immigrant and gave us a shot at the American dream. <clears throat> I was raised in an America where your character married more than your political party, where we worked together to build great things and to become that shining city on a hill. I built my small business here in Virginia, and I believe in a Virginia based on freedom, community, and faith. My name is Winsome Sears, and I'm running to be your next Lieutenant Governor so that the American dream can still be available for the next generation. And that is Winsome Sears, who I believe we're about to bring on with us. Hi, Winsome. Hello, hello, thank you for having me. I'm I'm campaigning, as you can see, so I'm in my car in this beautiful Commonwealth of Virginia, and so I hope you can hear me fine. We can hear you and see you, and I'm so grateful you can come on. I mentioned to our listeners, I met you in Virginia, or excuse me, in Florida a few weeks ago, and I was so impressed. I mean, there were many people uh, at this uh, meeting we had that were so impressed by you, and I was so grateful you can come on. So. You are running for lieutenant governor, which first I'll make really clear, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have this right. You have the Republican nomination for lieutenant governor, but the Democrats still have their, they haven't settled on a candidate yet. Is that right? No, that's right. In Virginia, the governor, uh, the gubernatorial candidate does not choose his running mate. Uh, so everybody runs separately, but then of course the whole ticket wants to run together. 
but the the Democrats will choose their nominee coming uh, June 8th. But I am the Republican nominee. There were six of us in the race, and I'm the one that was uh, selected. <laughs> well, Yahoo for that. Okay, so you're a former. I know also in many other states, we have state representatives, state senators. You have a delegate, but you serve as a, as a delegate in the Virginia legislature. Now, were you the first black Republican elected to the legislature? Is that right? Black Republican uh, I'm the woman? First, well, I'm the first black Republican woman. Uh, elected, but I'm actually the first black Republican elected to represent a majority black district since 1865. So that is what, you know, we're going on to say that this can be done, that we can bring over Democrat voters to vote for Republicans. Okay. Just love that. Love that. Also uh, in your ad, your campaign ads, fabulous, your video, you mentioned there that you actually headed up Black Republicans for Trump. So just tell me how in the world uh, that went. Like, what did you do as part of that effort? Well, what we were trying to do was to expand the voter base because, you know, President Trump said he needed black voters to win. He also said he needed Asian voters and Latino voters. So uh, what we did, we we had a pack and the pack is still going. But of course, I'm no longer there because I'm running for lieutenant governor. And so we raised money so that we could get into the black community. And one thing that we did, two things that we used the money for actually. So the first thing was we printed booklets showing all that the Republican party has done for black people, you know, um, that we should be, the Republican party should be the home of black voters, especially because it was created for us. And then the other thing that we did uh, with the funds that we raised, we bought time on urban radio we wrote the scripts, got them recorded it, and we blasted it in the black community. And I can tell you that, for example, in Florida, we were able to bring in uh, 23 of the 25 Haitian leaning precincts because of the efforts that we that we did. So the black vote is winnable. But as I like to say, the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. And so you have to ask for the vote. You have to make the case. I, I love that, and I cannot imagine anyone more wonderful than you doing that. I'm so glad you're doing that. So, in Virginia, you have lieutenant governor race, and uh, and the governor is up this time too. Um, so, I want to just ask you: When you're, I love that you're trying to bring, and I love to talk more about that, trying to bring the Republican message to the black community. But beside that, what in Virginia do you think are the hot button issues that you think maybe you can turn voters generally away from the Democrats and to the Republicans? Well, number one, for absolute certain, as we're trying to bring in uh, black voters, it is definitely school choice. You know, uh, our children are inordinately um, uh, in, in communities that the schools are failing us. And I'm a former vice president of the State Board of Education. And I look at those numbers and they're very disheartening. I tell you, they make you want to cry when you look at, for example, the NAEP studies that show that in the eighth grade in Virginia, black children are failing math 80%. 80% of them are failing math. And I believe it's uh, 60% failing uh, English uh, comprehension, reading comprehension. And so when you look at numbers like that, you know that there's something definitely wrong in the black community and we have got to fix it. And so I think the best way to do that is to bring competition to education and that way what the money, the way that I'm advocating anyway, school choice is that the money goes with the child. It follows the child and not the brick building so that when uh, the parent decides, you know, I want a different education for my child, then they take the money, take the child and go, whether it's homeschool, whether it's private school, whatever, the, whatever it is, they can make that decision. And if they want to keep them in public school, that's available too. So I think competition will breed a lot better results for not just black kids, as a matter of fact, but for everybody. 
I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love what you're saying, and I think that message should resonate far and wide. You know, it's another thing I wonder how much, and we're only a few months into the Biden administration, but do you think direction of the country overall in, in America and in Virginia, is that going to help some voters say, I'm not too sure, I mean, in choosing the political party they want to support, I'm not too sure about the direction out of Washington these days. Maybe the Republicans ought to give them a, 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 you know, a chance to tell me what they would be doing differently. You think that's going to help in, the, in your election and this campaign? Yeah, you know, our proximity to D.C. is, um, I, I don't think it's going to help uh, us very much. Uh, unfortunately, what I think will resonate are the, the issues that are that's happening here in Virginia. For example, our governor shut us down, closed our businesses, closed our schools, closed our churches, and we are suffering. There are people who have lost their life savings in their businesses uh, and, and, um, and, and, we're trying to bring that back again. Now, somehow we've, we've got money, some surplus, and I know why actually, it's because we, the governor never did shut down the, the ABC stores, as we call them, the liquor stores that, the, that the, the, the state controls. And so that's $500 million that that brings in every year. Notice he kept that going. He kept the, the big box stores open but that he closed the mom and pop stores who are in the same industry. So there's a lot of angst and anger about all of this happening. And, and our kids, as I said, they're failing even more. All kids uh, all across the board, they're failing because the schools aren't open. You know, nobody wants to look at a screen for four or five hours. But the private schools have been open for five days a week now for a whole year. So there are local issues that are happening that's going to affect this race, including some of the overreach, for example, marijuana. And I'm not talking about medicinal marijuana. I'm talking about recreational marijuana. It is going to be legal as of July 1st here. It's going wow. to hit the in a big way because guess who has first dibs at selling it? That's right. Those drug dealers, those who have had convictions, they, and you have to be black, you're going to be the first ones to sell it. So what they used to do in the dark is now going to be in the light. And you can imagine a child that's uh, walking, you know, to the store and you have one gang over here, the other gang over there selling, selling, and bam, the child gets hit, gunshot. So it's, it's just a mess. And I could go on. I'm sure you could. You know, one other issue I would think would sway some of your voters. Plus, you're just you're so much fun to listen to. I should tell our listeners. I wish I'd recorded it when you spoke at this this event we were at in Florida. The, the, every, people were on their feet almost the whole time because you were so upbeat and happy and positive, which I think is really often missing from Canada's and our side. We're kind of upset and worried about things, and people love to hear someone positive and exciting. But the other issue I thought might impact voters, and I think that uh, that. Democrat and Republican parties have very different views. And that has to do with the Second Amendment. And I don't even know where you are, are on this, but I know the Biden administration is making noises and your current Governor Northam making noises about uh, Second Amendment restrictions, gun ownership restrictions. Is, is that a good issue for the our, uh, Republican side in, in your race? Yeah, well, you know, in Virginia, uh, the governor only serves one term. He cannot succeed himself. He would have to leave and then come back again. So thank God the founders uh, at least got that correct. So that's wonderful. Now, when it comes to the Second Amendment, I'm a Marine and I have in my campaign materials, I, I uh, took a photograph of myself with uh, uh, a gun. And so the liberals, they're all upset about it and they don't even realize you do understand that I know how to use this, that women in the military are given guns and we're taught how to use this. And furthermore, I have a Second Amendment right to have this gun and how dare you try to tell me otherwise. But more than that, the fastest growing segment of gun owners are black women. And so the only time on the news that you ever see a black person with a gun is when it's showing that we have committed some crime or the other, we belong to a gang, we belong to drugs or something. There's nothing positive. And by the way, the gun uh, confiscation laws were against black people. They were written for black people. So they were always against us having the right to protect ourselves. And as Condoleezza Rice said one time, I heard her on The View, that's how her father and the the black neighbors were able to protect themselves was because they had guns. 
So I am 2A all the way. I love that, 2A all the way. Winston Sears, I'm thrilled you are running for Lieutenant Governor in the state of Virginia, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm assuming you know. Can you tell our listeners how to find you online and how they could, I'm assuming they can donate online to support your campaign? Absolutely, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, it's winsomesears.com, winsomesears.com. Please uh, donate. If you live in Virginia, please uh, sign up so that you can help the campaign, volunteer, go door to door, whatever, it's, uh, phone banking. But definitely please donate. And in Virginia, you can donate any amount from one to a hundred million dollars. Believe it or not, there, there are no limitations. This is yeah. not the federal government. I love that. We have that in Texas, too. We have uh, no limit on state donations. So, But you can accept out-of-state donations. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And and, and uh, PACs can donate. It doesn't matter. Yes. This is Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Winsome Sears, I'm so grateful you were available to join me today. Uh, you are just a breath of fresh air as a woman candidate for lieutenant governor in the great state of Virginia. And I know, by the way, earlier you were mentioning how close you are, your proximity to Washington, but I always picture kind of Virginia has the DC suburbs part of Virginia, and then Heartland, Virginia, south of that, that's maybe more kind of mainstream America. Is that about right? Yeah, uh, we call it Nova, Northern Virginia, as uh, bumps up against DC. And, you know, we gave parts of, Virginia gave up land so that uh, the the federal government could uh, have you know place of its own, and so but now with uh, you know all of the the liberal policies coming out, it, it it's making Northern Virginia very very liberal. So we're trying to make a dent there, and uh, so that we can carry possibly the rest of the Commonwealth as we like to call Virginia the Old Dominion, but. It'll be all right because there are so many problems that are happening in Northern Virginia when it comes to school choice, especially, you know, there's a, an issue with there, there, there's a Thomas Jefferson High School, for example, where it's the number one high school in the, in the country, science, uh, STEM, and the population there of Asian students is 73%. And I have to tell you that all of a sudden it's an issue in, instead of trying to bring all of the other kids. You know what? I could see her car started moving. She's got to be out campaigning. Um, and that's Winsome Sears. She's running for Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. I met her last weekend. Just totally loved her. Uh, and I'm very excited to share her with you. If you are interested in supporting someone who could actually make a great difference in our country, Winsome, just like the word Winsome, W-I-N-S-O-M-E, and Sears, S-E-A-R-S, winsomesears.com, great candidate for Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. I hope she rocks it. And I'm sorry we lost her right at the end, but she's out as she needs to be doing campaigning, knocking on doors, which is how you win uh, you win the vote. Person, household by household, door by door. So good for her. Okay, I want to hit two other topics. Um, there was actually the most amazing thing. Um, I, I titled it, Course Reject Biden's Racial Bigotry. I just want to tell you how much the left thrives on tribalism, thrives on dividing the country, thrives on pigeonholing each person into some hyphenated group that they've made up for them. So the Biden administration, due to the great harm that happened to many restaurants over this last year, because we had overly aggressive, unnecessarily aggressive regulation and control of the restaurant and other business industries in this country due to COVID, a, you know, a great overreaction. And so you had many businesses, including restaurants, lost their business or, or could barely survive. And so the Small Business Administration, under President Biden, put together a relief package trying to help uh, people who lost or had the, their restaurants lost or threatened under COVID. So they had a Restaurant Revitalization Act and a pool of millions of dollars to give away to restaurant owners. And you could think, okay, that's good, you know, because restaurants were particularly hard hit. I mean, when it was in many states, not that it was necessary, 
given the true reality on the ground of COVID, but it's what is what happened. They were closed down. And of course, you know, people staying home, no one's eating in the restaurants. Plus when they finally opened, many of them, he had to socially distance. So Biden team, Small Business Administration puts together a program to rescue uh, restaurants uh, and it's millions of dollars, but they put into the package deal. The Biden administration put in a package deal that for the first 21 days, as the money was being handed out, first 21 days uh, where the money is available, you make application, I assume you have to prove something about your business, that the money could only go to restaurants that were owned by racial minorities or women. Now, I'm pretty sure that whatever skin color or gender you are, your restaurant was equally harmed by COVID, by the regulations related to COVID. But they put this in place. And, you know, I I have lamented many times where we are in this country in terms of the courts just simply going along with, with whatever the left wants. But actually, this time, the courts did not. We actually had two different courts rule that the Biden administration can not discriminate based on skin color or based on gender in handing out federal tax dollars, which of course are tax dollars paid by everybody. Everyone who's a taxpayer pays taxes, money goes to Washington, and then it goes back out for the various programs the government has in place, many of which they probably don't need. But anyway, I want to read you some of the language because it was actually really good. It was, it was a, um, it was a judge really wanted to be pretty tough about it. Uh, it was a Sixth Circuit, uh, which is, you know, a, um, a court just, in fact, I think it was a two-to-one decision, so it wasn't as great. But anyway, it was a small business requirement. Only applications for restaurant relief from women and racial minorities would be processed in the first 21 days. Um, and in the Sixth Circuit, uh, the court granted a preliminary injunction, which is mean Before you have to prove the entire case, the court has the power to issue an injunction saying, no, stop doing this. Preliminary, meaning prior to the the entire issue being litigated, injunction means no, you can't do this. So the Sixth Circuit said, um, in a case, Vitalo versus Guzman, the Sixth Circuit ruled um, in behalf of a white plaintiff who is half owner of of Jake's Bar and Grill in Tennessee, um, the uh, two-to-one decision, which is a circuit court decision, Um, basically cited a bunch of Supreme Court precedents and just saying, you're not correcting, you can't just discriminate based on race without showing among, we're up to this another day and I'll dig in because I'm a labor lawyer by background. I kind of love this stuff, but the shorthand of it was the other cases, the Supreme Court has said, you know, if you're trying to correct a prior um, violation of law, a prior discrimination against some group. You can have some corrective action in a current law. They're saying, where's the prior violation here? Where the government did not shut down restaurants only owned by women or minorities. They shut them all down. And so they're calling this out and they're really very, uh, fairly firm, solid language out of this one judge. Um, I'm not finding language fast enough, but he had really, really good... Um, yeah, this is Judge uh, Thapar, or Thapar, T-H-A-P-A-R, said the Supreme Court has uh, allowed such a remedy only justified under narrow circumstances. And basically, it, it talks, it is getting at the notion this is a racially divisive agenda. Allow me to say in plain English, this is the Biden administration trying to continue to cultivate votes, to cultivate support by a, an utterly, plainly discriminatory, two course now ruled unconstitutional program that says we're handing out taxpayer money, but you know, based on your skin color or your gender, you get more of it. So this is a good thing. We'll see the courts, uh, it, they'll go to full litigation eventually. And I don't know whether the Biden administration will decide to just pull it down or what they will do it was a great, great thing that these courts had the courage to say, you can't just discriminate based on race. And, and, I, and the reason this matters so much in my view is that this is the Biden administration using political power, using tax dollars and political power to gain political place, political victories. Cause they think, oh yeah, this is gonna, how we're gonna cement and grow the support of, of women voters and black voters is by handing out more tax dollars to them than to other people, which basically boils down to white men.
if you're a white man, you don't get this money, but everybody else does. I mean, could not have been more blatantly discriminatory, and they're fully aware of this, and they thought it was going to fly. I don't know what will happen when the whole thing gets litigated, but it is outrageous that you'd even think about that in America, having a federal government agency handing out money, relief money because of COVID, and giving priority, in fact, saying for the whole first 21 days, only the people that we like can have the money and other people cannot. In fact, the court went as far as to say, you've got to make the awards based on the date of application, not, you know, not what, uh, not race or gender. It was a great thing. Okay, one last quick thing. Uh, and this is actually, I want to talk about Memorial Day. So, Memorial Day, the Monday holiday, yesterday, May 31st, was a, you know, beautiful, beautiful celebrations on Memorial Day across the country. Um, and, you know, we didn't have a show on Monday because the studio was closed. But I do want to say about Memorial Day, um, it's a couple of points I want to make about it. One is every American or nearly every American, you know, when they're asked about, you know, uh, if America is threatened or the power of the American, the greatness of the American military, nearly everyone is very, very proud of America's military history. They're proud of America's victories and uh, helping save the world in World War II. They're proud of the American military standing up, being strong, the most ready, the most prepared, the most dedicated, and the most selfless. As many people have pointed out over decades, you know, America goes to help rescue Western Europe, um, World War I and World War II. Uh, America tries to rescue people invaded and attacked uh, by other countries, tries to preserve, protect the innocent, and doesn't claim land is not a conquering army like many armies are. They just go to do the right thing and then they come home. And, and every American or virtually every American is so proud of the American military. But actually I learned some interesting statistics um, about, so Memorial Day, to be really clear, the holiday yesterday is about honoring those who made the ultimate sacrifice, those who lost their lives serving America. And it's not, it's not just in recent time, it's honoring all of those Americans who gave their lives defending this country since the beginning of this country. There are numerous holidays related to the military. Memorial Day yesterday is about honoring those who made the ultimate sacrifice. But I thought it was interesting to note because as proud as many of us are of the military and we speak highly of it and we, we are you know, proud and happy to you know, salute and, and put our hand over our hearts and pledge allegiance and all of that, the actual percentage of Americans who serve in the military is really tiny. And I'll just quickly share this with you. In America, the current active military personnel, if you want to take a guess, if I were giving this speech in person, I'd say, if you want to take a guess, I'll, you know, what do you think? But I'll just tell you, active military today, as a percentage of the entire American population, is less than 1%. It's 0.4% of current Americans are active military. And everyone in that category, those 0.4% who are active military, they all have families, brothers, sisters, parents, spouses, children. They have families. So you have that 0.4% and the expanded family members, and it's still a minute portion of America. And all the time, all of us say we're so proud of the military. You know, those families, they're proud in a different way. They're not proud just because, yes, you know, yay America, great military, great greatness of our country. It's personal to them. It's a personal commitment by the members of the military and their families. On top of that, um, so I, I asked a bunch of other numbers. Uh, let's see, I want to tell you very quickly, uh, in this country, um, we have uh, whatever portion of Americans have ever served have ever served in the military. Uh, that's a little bigger number than 0.4. I probably won't find it fast enough. Um, but anyway, I'm getting at the point, there's not very many people who serve in the military. And on this holiday, we're actually in particular honoring families who made the ultimate sacrifice. And there are many beautiful, beautiful memorials. Um, and you know, people who have services, we went last year, I think, to uh, a memorial that was held in, in the Dallas, um, you know, we have a national cemetery 
here in Dallas, Fort Worth, and there are other national cemeteries around the country. There are other cemeteries. You have a large number of military personnel buried there. So these beautiful ceremonies, and they're really lovely, and they have, you know, they just have, uh, you know, time to honor the service of people and honor the families and all. Just really, really beautiful thing. And I did urge you all on the show last Wednesday, and then our member show last Thursday, to say this is a great time uh, to really think about honoring the military. Not that everyone had to go do something, but to just remember, these are the people we're honoring, and it's a very tiny portion of Americans who, I mean, we some of us have extended family who served in the military, extended family who gave their lives, but for a lot of Americans, there's no, it's not personal holiday. I'm not talking about just the ones who serve currently, but who've lost a member of the family. It's still a small portion of the American people. But it's important to have a holiday because all of us have our freedom. We have the country we do because of the bravery of those who went before us, starting back as far as the Revolutionary War, the people willing to give their all, to fight, and to be willing to die, to put their life on the line, stand in harm's way, to create an American country. That's what the Revolutionary War did. Civil War, I literally, and the millions of people putting their lives on the line to say, as the North or the, the Union finally prevailed, to say, we're going to have one country. We're not going to divide. And we're going to, at the same time, end slavery, which we did do. But we've had, throughout America's military history, bravery of people in every generation to say, I'm going to do something to make a difference. I'm going to try to pretend, protect this country. So I want to close by saying, you know, I, on Memorial Day, there was a tweet. I'm going to guess most of you already saw it, but I'm going to ask Matt the wonderful put it up first. This was a tweet, original tweet, by our current Vice President, Kamala Harris. Here's what she first put out about Memorial Day. You can see this. This is a great picture of her. She's very photogenic. She's actually very pretty, very photogenic. But she put out, first of all, this was on Saturday, I think. Um, yeah, on Saturday. Um, United States government official, that's her, you know, her category, enjoy the long weekend. Now, I know she got a lot of ridicule for that. And she did. I mean, she got a lot of ridicule for that. And I will say, I'm sure her defenders would say, oh, come on. She was, you know, she's just trying to say something nice. You have to pounce on everything. But it's really kind of symbolic of the way so many Americans are detached from the purpose and significance of the military. Now, she later, of course, made some few comments and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't really mean that. Or she made some comments about honoring those. And she put another tweet out that basically said, you know, we're honoring those people um, who made the ultimate sacrifice or something. She put something out kind of nice about Memorial Day. But that, you know, that tweet she put out to start with, if you're one of the families in America, who, especially one who lost a soldier fairly recently in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in other recent battles in our country, you know, you're going to be, you're going to feel a little differently because this is a holiday. Everyone's supposed to be thinking about you and your family, your loved one, your lost loved one and your family. And coming from the vice president of the United States saying, have a nice long weekend was at the very least astonishingly insensitive and clueless and perhaps even indicative of how she's so detached. The vice president of the United States, so detached from the military that it didn't occur to her this might be insensitive. She later gave some speech, by the way, honoring some, uh, a, someone in the military, a black woman who achieved, the first one to ever achieve some rank in the military. So even when she was praising the military, she had to get off on gender and ethnicity and skin color and race instead of just saying, thank God for our military. You'd love to hear that. Just thank God for them. I sent him out a series of tweets. I'm going to close out the show by just asking him to run through those. These are other people's really great tweets on Memorial Day. This is really sweet. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know any of these people. But most of these people put these up in response to her, to Vice President Harris's tweet. This, oh, you can read it all. You can do the next one. We're going to run out of time here. This one was really sweet. I put this up on my Facebook page several days ago. Really, really sweet. Uh, next one. Okay, this one, a current someone lost and killed in action in 2006. 
Um, so obviously uh, in Afghanistan. So this is a mom or a family member, a mom saying, yeah, you know, this is actually why we have this holiday here. Next one, I think, no, is that it? Okay, so I just wanted to say, I am so um, grateful for every single person who served in the military. I love that we in our country have Memorial Day. I hope you all had the opportunity in your hearts and minds to be thankful for America's military on this Memorial Day weekend. And I close out the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show talking about praise for Trump versus pathetic Paul Ryan. Trump boat parades in Florida over Memorial Day weekend. And Paul Ryan is afraid of a populist cult around Trump. I want to start to say clueless Paul Ryan, pathetic Paul Ryan, afraid of a populist cult around Trump. Paul Ryan either can't see the big picture or he can, and he's allied with the uniparty deep state swamp to destroy it. American support for Trump, American support for Trump is not about cultish, shallow loyalty to a person. It's about renewed love for America, for the MAGA agenda, for freedom. It hasn't stopped since November 3rd. It is rising, but the media can't or won't see it. The uniparty line is that Biden received the most votes in U.S. history. I just want to say, I haven't see, yet seen the pictures for the Biden boat parades. If you see a Biden boat parade, you know, send me a picture, okay? I'd love to see that. Anyway, so he's far more popular than Trump, right? Not. The subject of election fraud remains in the minds of millions of Americans. Courts reject Biden's racial bigotry. Biden's Small Business Administration is set to hand out COVID recovery loans for restaurants, openly acknowledged priority, first 21 days, only for women and minorities, given to owners of color and women owners. This is stone cold racial and gender discrimination, plainly unconstitutional, based on recent precedent, and courts have so far stepped up and said so. But will it continue? to be unconstitutional when we have a packed Supreme Court. This is the offshoot of racism everywhere, the 1619 Project, the critical race theory, etc. a complete rejection of America's founding ideals, not a trace of love in it. It's all about pitting groups against each other, intended to sweep away the Judeo-Christian ideals in favor of leftist power tactics. And that point about no trace of love, I've had many people make this point to me, the entire leftist agenda is never about love of America. It's never about love of the American people, love of American goodness, love of American history. There's no love in leftism. There's no evidence that Americans voted for this. And finally, remembering on Memorial Day, uh, Kamala Harris, completely tone deaf with enjoy the long weekend tweet. The vice president of the United States is expected to honor Memorial Day. Even Harris's later efforts to backfill and make amends seem more like racial tokenism than true honoring of fallen American soldiers. Americans are learning every day what it means to be governed by a radical leftist, anti-American administration. Harris's Memorial Day gaffe was not really a gaffe. It likely never occurred to her or her Twitter writers that Memorial Day represented anything other than a long weekend. Americans are increasingly restless. Does the Biden-Harris agenda reflect the consent of the governed? And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America?